Hello, you're listening to Insurance Covered, the podcast that covers anything and everything to do with insurance. Coming up in this episode... I get irritated that I want to stop other people saying they fell into the insurance industry by accident because it's such a great place to be employed in the insurance industry. There are so many areas that you can bring your talents to, to the industry and, and use them. And I want us to be... Um, to become a market of choice for young, talented people. My name is Peter Mansfield. I'm a partner of the law firm RPC, and in each episode I'm joined by a guest and we discuss an aspect of the wonderful world of insurance. And this week we have Karen Graves, and we will be learning about how to create an insurer. Between 2005 and 2009, Karen was first the compliance officer, then the Chief Operating Officer, and finally the Managing Director at Creechurch Underwriting, before leaving to join SCORE for nine years as its European Chief Operating Officer, or COO, in London. She is a trustee of the Education and Training Trust at the Chartered Insurance Institute, a non-exec director of USAA UK and USAA SA, and recently stood down after three years as the Chair of the Independent Women in Insurance Committee. But in addition to all that, for the last few months, She's been involved as the COO in the creation of a brand new insurer, Inigo, which is what we're going to discuss today. So Karen, welcome to the podcast. Welcome, Peter. Thank you very much. And thank you for that lovely introduction. And thank you for for asking me here today. It's great to talk to you. Let's begin at the beginning. And um, could you talk us through, well, could you talk us through how you ended up in insurance? And I'm going to take a stab here, Peter, that I'm probably not the first person that would say this, that accidentally... um, Accidentally, amazing. How amazing is that? And I get slightly infuriated by having to give that answer, if I'm honest. I think at the time, it's an entirely true answer. So I fell into insurance, started working on a temporary basis um, for a stop loss insurer in the market, and then kind of thought in the the, the good old sort of late 80s and so on, it's a kind of fun place to be. And and then just found that that I I like the world. It's a, the, the reason I like it so much and love it is it's because it's a, for me, it's a people orientated world. So that, that people element of it um, has always been something that I felt drawn to. I get irritated that I want to stop other people saying they fell into the insurance industry by accident because it's such a great place to be employed in the insurance industry. There are so many areas um, that you can bring your talents to to the industry and and use them. And I want us to be, um, to become a market of choice for young, talented people or people looking to change careers. If you're an actuary or, or, you know, from a, if you did politics and govern, governance or something as your degree, there's a space for you in the insurance industry. And whether you've got a degree or whether you're coming out of school, you know, there's some great opportunities in apprenticeships these days. And so I really want us to be a market of choice for new talent and not just people keep falling into it because they stumbled across it for some reason. Brilliant. We're here to talk about Indigo. That's right. I, I, you know, I, I joined them in October 2020 and it's just been a massively hectic, fun, creative rewarding journey and I promised myself I wasn't going to use the word journey as well but never mind journey to to get to this point um, in in 2021 and look to the future and so it's been great being able to help Inigo get through these first few months using the experience I've had from 30 plus years in the industry particularly from a governance regulatory Lloyd'sy startup things you need people you need focus in in the early days. And by the end of this podcast, we're going to know an, an enormous amount about Inigo. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, we are. 
Um, and but but before we get going on that, could you kind of nice and briefly give us a real small potted image of of what Inigo is, so that everyone listening to the podcast can can visualise it in the same way? Okay, so we are. Uh, I'm going to use the word traditional, but not in necessarily in the style and cultural sense. But we are what you would expect to see as a a traditional managing agency style business, a single syndicate that we manage within the Lloyd's Insurance framework. Uh, so quite quite a simple. Um, managing agency with the one syndicate so that very simple structure we went from when I joined there were six of us um, in October we're now shy of 100 people we've got um, reinsurance lines and insurance lines specialty business property terror and political violence um, general liability DNO marine liability energy liability and then the reinsurance books so quite diverse and we've, we've got sort of a circa a 400 million dollar underwriting capacity for our first year underwriting who initially came up with the idea? How, how did it start? Right. So, uh, you know, my, my understanding of this is that my three lead colleagues, um, Richard Watson, Russell Merritt and Stuart Bridges, ex-colleagues of, of many years standing. And I think like a number of us of a certain age, OK, you kind of get to a point in the, in the insurance industry, perhaps where you feel there's a little bit of unfinished business. And, and I think for, for a number of them, uh, Richard in particular, this was something that he hadn't done, was set something up from scratch. Also, the timing in terms of when they were looking to create something new was right in terms of new opportunities within the Lloyd's market. It's a very interesting thing, I think, setting up something like this. And it is for any new business, whether it's an insurer, Lloyd's insurer or an insure tech. There's that finely balanced set of scales between what comes first and chicken and egg scenario. So you have to kind of bring its plate spinning. You kind of have to keep all your plates spinning all at once. So as you have the business idea and you're engaging with banks and brokers to help you sell the idea and find investors you then having to think about the regulatory applications over here and so it's a lot of plate spinning clearly and it's you know often which comes first you have the business idea you need the the capital behind it but to then make the capital needs to have some assurance that the business plan will get approved i would say as a very general comment it's always great to start up an insurance entity any entity really with informed capital and capital that you know is going to be with you for the ride that you're on in terms of setting up something new. And I think for me and Inigo, when I was looking um, and, and came in to, to join them, they had that in place. So that was a big tick, really. But then you've got your commitments Then you've got that. You've then got to make sure that you bring in the business plan, the regulatory applications, the right people, get the framework in place to actually turn that into reality for something that you wanted to, to start being in a position to underwrite for 1-1-2021. But that means you practically having sign off and things in place before then. So from when I joined in October to December, it was just a wonderful, mad plate spinning exercise. I, I, I thought your, your, your metaphor of plate spinning is, is a very helpful one because you know, I, I, I approached this podcast as a lawyer with a nice structured kind oh, of uh, approach. And you have, yeah. so, so you have stage one, the concept, and then stage two, Kind of ensuring that the you know, validating the concept and seeing whether whether it's the, the concept is something which can possibly then stage three turning it into reality and then stage four kind of everything becomes but but, but from what you're saying it's it's not as it's not as neat as that it's not as neat as that and I, and I will share with your podcast listeners that actually Peter in his notes he sent to me he does actually talk about stage one stage two and stage three in your notes so you're a very structured thinker and part of all of this was of course having great advisors helpers clearly lawyers and stuff and that's where we had a lot of discipline in structured thinking from our supporters um helping us get this over the line it wasn't just us we had you know brokers and lawyers and um accountants and and you know helping helping us um in, in many ways one of the other things that was also 
I, I think the way that we we created Inigo is we, we purchased Starstone from NSTAR. And of course, Starstone were a existing managing agency. So we were fortunate enough to be able to purchase a framework. So we were able to look at it in two phases, get the syndicate up and running with a new business plan approved by Lloyds from 1-1, start to get the underwriters in. And then the second phase was then finalizing the deal in terms of buying the agency from NSTAR. So that, that gave us a, a framework and undoubtedly, I think, helped save a lot of time in many areas. And I think Indigo is a very different business from Starstone, but the framework was in many places was, as managing agencies are, generally enough for it to be of real value for us to, to then move into 2021 and create the Indigo agency out of Starstone. And then what we do now is we then look at what we've inherited and bought in effect, and then start to refine the bits that work for us because Starstone was a much more complex business part of a, a much larger US company. There's lots of elements that we don't need as a much sort of simpler focused Lloyd's managing agency, UK based one syndicate structure. So, you know, you have to do a bit of revisiting now and, and making the structure that you've acquired right for you, which is what we spend a lot of time doing now. We've mentioned that um, Indigo is a, a, a Lloyd's platform, that that's how, that's how it works. Was there any kind of consideration of, uh, you know, a company um, or in Bermuda or something? Or was it always going to be Lloyd's? You know, um, I think it was, it was always going to be Lloyd's. Maybe in the future, that's something that Indigo would like to pursue. But it was always, always, since I joined, my, my experience of, of, of being part of Indigo is it was very important to the team that this was a Lloyd's focused entity. And I think one of the things that, that I enjoy very much about Inigo is it, it's a underwriting focused entity. So that, that's clear. And being focused for that means that how you provide support and how you provide services becomes very, very clear that that's what you're doing because that's where our value lies in Inigo, I think, is the underwriting teams that we're creating and have created but continue to create in terms of talented, specialised, focused people that can make our underwriting really sing, if you like. For me, it's very easy, and lots of businesses see this, but my experience in over 30 years, it's very easy to go into things because you can, you know, whether you want to set up in another part of the world, whether you want to, or actually in the early stages and you're building something, really understanding what your essential qualities are and what you're really good at, what you're really good at should be your key focus. And I think we do that very well at Inigo. And uh, we've mentioned Inigo uh, as a name. When was the name chosen and, and why, I guess? Uh, well, when I joined, it, was, it had already been chosen. Certainly from Richard's perspective, it's something that a uh, big admirer, as are others, as am I, actually, a, a big admirer of Inigo Jones and his architecture and um, the Queen's House and Greenwich and, you know, and Covent Garden as well, the, the church in Covent Garden. And just if I was trying to come up with that too tortuous uh, analogy between Inigo and, and the business, Inigo Jones as an architect in the business, you know, he created very beautiful, I think, elegant, streamlined structures. And they were very sort of mathematically correct as well. And, um, you know, I, I can see why that is a, a great representation for our business, if that makes sense to you. Um, mm. That there is something very pleasing about, in, for, for me, about Inigo Jones' architecture. And I think that that simplicity of style and focus it's probably what we have in Inigo. It's, it's a brilliant logo as well. I mean, m most logos, I, you know, get going one eye it's out a the great other. Logo. But... I think the colours, we spend a lot of time as well. I mean, you know, I think, I think I said, can we just make sure it's not blue? 
Okay, because I think, you know, we did have representations of, of lots of other logos across the market, and blue is quite a prominent colour. Um, and the ones that stood out were the ones that did do things slightly differently, and I think that's that strong yellow and how we're starting to use it and develop it is, is great. You know, and, and other, other brands that, that we also were visually very strong were the ones that were a bit different. And, and I think, you know, we didn't choose it for that, just to be different. We, we chose it because we, we, we liked it. We thought it represented us really well. Um, this is completely on a tangent, but, it, All right. it, but, but it, it, Inigo Jones has always had a, a, a special place in my heart because okay. when, I, when I was a teenager, I would used to play sort of word games with myself. Yes. I didn't have many friends, so this was... I, 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 had, to make my, I had to make my own entertainment. Um, but, but, but I drunk up with famous people with kind of uh, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J. Yeah. And so, so Anne Boleyn, Charles Darwin, okay. uh, right. er- Errol Flynn, George Harrison, and, and, in- and Inigo Jones was obviously my, my go-to for, for IJ. <laughs> so, I, lo- uh, I like that. I, that's a very good, good work, Amy. You're going to, you know, get me doing it. We must be careful, though, Peter, to not reveal too much of ourselves on these podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, 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 that just, all, all that does is reveal my sad childhood. <laughs> It's quite, I can't like things like that. So I think, you know, it's not something that we wish to overplay. I think it's a great name. I think that the style and the, and the branding that we have represents us. I, I would say simplicity is, is a word that I can sort of knock you around my head in terms of how to represent us. We, we are a very easy to understand business, I hope. But it's the way that we wish to do things, I think, that will make us attractive to new talent, to the investors and to the business that gets brought in via the brokers in it, that we are underwriting focused, clear about what we want to do with great people. Um, so that sounds really simple, doesn't it? That doesn't stop all the plates spinning in the background, okay? That you have to have a framework to have all of this great stuff happen in. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, um, probably when I joined in October to probably April, um, I don't think, you know, myself and lots of other people's our feet just really didn't touch the floor, but massively rewarding. Even though it was hard work, it was massively rewarding to create something. You've already mentioned uh, the, th- the fact that all of this happened in a pandemic. Um, yes. So that, that that must have been a you know that, that must have created extraordinary problems. Uh, do you know what? Um, yes and no. Okay, I, I think if we were going to look at the insurance industry in its entirety, I think the insurance industry has been massively successful in navigating its way through the last eighteen months or so. We kept trading. We provided clients with solutions the whole way through, and so that trading within the market continued really without a blip okay so i think the industry should be massively proud of itself for for being able to do that it was more challenging i think from an individual basis because you suddenly found yourself just sitting in front of a screen for lots and lots of hours of a day and not moving because things were quite fast moving and so having some personal discipline and thing about making sure you get up and go for a walk or whatever but so for so i think you just get on and pitch in and do stuff everybody was online and I think that sort of helped with the, the goodwill about getting things done in a slightly, you know, odd environment that we wouldn't be doing in this normally. I think the challenge for any business that's set up in the pandemic is how you move into a practical real world. And I'm, I would say, and this is a very personal view, the insurance industry for me is a very, it's a people-based business. We're good at what we do because, you know, we have the relationships and the skill sets and it's a people-driven industry and then layering onto that you know the pandemic requirements either from government or formally 
plus then also looking at uh, colleagues thoughts about how they want to come back and then providing that space and then taking what we've done online and and developing it into reality and developing a culture and, and things that we feel are important to us in reality I think for me that's more challenging than the startup totally online in the virtual world if you see what I mean mm. um, because it's, it's made me realize how important human relationships are and human contact is and I would say this particularly for, for younger colleagues but I would say one of the things that concerns me generally is that we make our young colleagues understand how important it is that you come in and you create and, and, and are present in a business because you learn. I think it's the learning and the innovation aspects that, that I worry that we, we will sort of lose. When you sit with underwriters or you, you know, who sits at anywhere, really, whoever you might be working with, when you sit with them, you kind of sort of leech, you know, this sort of pull experience into yourself by watching, listening, understanding, hearing conversations, seeing what brokers are doing. It's a massive amount that you learn almost by osmosis, really. Mm-hmm. It's something that I, I think is um, always at the forefront of, of my thinking in terms of, of, of what's important, because you just learn so much by being present in the business. And I don't really think that can be replaced entirely online. I think there needs to be this balance in whatever companies create going forward. That's a, a space that incorporates the flexibility. And so keeping the good bits, but also recognizing why it's important to be together and what you get from it. And it's around innovation, it's around learning and development. So, you know, I think it's, it'd be interesting to see, Peter, how it goes over the next two years or so and mm. see where we are, you know, in another couple of years' time about how we've developed in terms of when it goes from an entirely online to this, this hybrid working model that we're looking at and then seeing how the rest of the market has developed in other industries too. I'm not sure which side I come down on, whether it will change or you know, I speak to people and they think the change we see in the working environment is absolutely entrenched and won't change. Then I talk to other people and there's a sense of, well, we are creatures of habit and we, we like to interact with people. Yeah, it might end up just being a split between introverts and extroverts. Extroverts just want to be with people. Introverts, quite happy on their own. But, but, but maybe, but then I think, you know, quite a lot of introverts have massive skill sets for your business. You know, you need them to to be present as well Um, because I I think it's that inclusion of of all different types of thinkers that make businesses really vibrant from my own point of view I I find and a colleague of mine um, Wendy used a phrase it's like living at work Mm. and I think it's a really good phrase which I'm going to trademark and use entirely for me and (laughs) any credit for it at all but that kind of living at work scenario I I, I think there is a lot of benefit to have work and life separation and so that that office space that we create for people to have that in I think is really important I want to come back to that um in, in a okay. few moments but um I, I've got one official question that I still need to ask oh god have you come to, to kind of like you know divert you off any official <laughs> come on, no, it's, it's a very simple one which is you are the chief operating officer oh god yeah you can ask me what that means I'm going to ask you what that means um I think okay I've been thinking about this and I don't there are lots of answers I could give as a regulatory answer because um from a regulatory point of view, a, a, you need a zero is your SMF24 function. And that's you're there to make sure that there, there are internal mechanisms for the business to function well and to support all elements of the business. But, but it's much broader than that. And I think the, the, the chief operating officer role can change from company to company. I mean, I've done it before in other companies. It's been very different than it is here now. And I also think it can change as well. 
the, the role can evolve as a company evolves. So I think really I look at it with a point of view and that, that anything that underwriters need to function well, whether it's systems, operational processes, support teams, whatever it might be, are in place to make sure that they have everything they need to do that well. It's then also having a, a nod towards the regulatory requirements in terms of that you are running and, and your bit as being a regulated person, you're responsible for making sure the operational side of the business runs well. I also, and not this doesn't happen everywhere, I also have a compliance reporting line into me as well. So I pick that side of the business up in terms of making sure that we have all the right bits in the right place from a corporate governance perspective. I, you know, and I pick up two or three other bits and pieces as well, but I, I, and, you know, I have no doubt that the CRO will evolve within Inigo as we get more mature in terms of understanding what our framework will be like. So I think that's the other thing when you set up a new entity is how quickly things change. So, you know, to anybody setting up something new, what you currently have now will be very different than what you'll have in six months time. What we had in October is very different than what we had in December to, to, to March. So that, that change is generated by people coming in, maybe it's new lines of business, um, maybe it's just starting to understand a bit more about the things that you need, the things you need to develop more, the things that you can don't really have to worry about that because our focus is different. So there's lots of dynamics around how that can change. And I think it, it's making sure that you understand the pace of that change and, and that that change is okay. You know, and I, and I think change management is, is something else that falls as well sometimes within that remit. So it's making sure that you have robust systems, I think, in place and processes to support the business. I'm not sure I've answered your question. You've answered it perfectly. Answered oh, it perfectly. Really? You have. Yeah, you have. Not the last of the four more questions now, Peter. No, no, one more. Oh, one, on. one more. Indigo has been trading for the best part of a year now. And, and, and back in January, um, Richard Watson, the, the CEO, said, um, I, I want us to stand for high caliber underwriting to be a company that's fun to work at and one that attracts very talented individuals. If we underwrite well, the future is ours to dictate. I mean, how do you feel that that vision has been implemented over the last nine, 10 months and and, and future? What does the future look like? Okay, so I, I think that's a great quote from Richard. And I think it reflects the kind of company that he wants to be a leader of. And so his words and deeds match, which is always good, isn't it? So Inigo... It was created sort of the idea in June of last year. It became much more real in October as Inigo Limited. Uh, and then, of course, the managing agency we acquired along the way. So the underwriting entity bit of it has been going as a syndicate since the beginning of the year. So a really young business in terms of underwriting capability. But the idea from Inigo has been there a bit longer. But in reality, the actual structure in the, in the managing agency really is just this year. Going back to, to Richard's quote, my experience is we have hired high caliber people which is wonderful. And the fun element, and I, and I like that he's used it in a quote because the number is of the same kind of era in there. And it is important that when you come, and, and fun doesn't mean you don't do your business well. I think it's about the style of environment that you want to create, a space that people want to come to. And when they come, they know it's going to be vibrant and enlivening place to come to. And, and that there is that element of fun that we think it doesn't make us any less serious about doing our business well. But that element of, of lightheartedness and fun and being serious when you have to be serious is something that I think is at the heart of the culture that Richard is building at Inigo. Definitely. Yeah, I, I've always I've always loved the sort of the, the, the you know the, the humility, humanity, and humour. I always think uh, yes. if, if, if they're combined, I think they're great. Yeah, humour is, is a big driver, I think, in in, in business, and there's a, there's a place for it. 
and there's a place for there's not a place for certain types of humor. <laughs> the humor in the workplace is a very interesting idea, and I, I don't know where it is, but I was um, reading a book about humor in the workplace, written by a couple of people at Harvard Business School, and the importance of having the ability to be lighthearted at work because the insurance industry is very time pressured. I think in terms of business timetables, you know underwriting years, new business plans, the timetables, it comes around with monotonous regularity before you've blinked an eye. You know, I, I can't believe we're sitting here now looking at what our business plan is going to look like in, in 2022. It's September. Those That's all got to go in now for, mm. for next year. And it's kind of, it's like, blimey, that's come around a bit quick. And so having an environment, I think, that allows you to be able to let off steam, have fun with your colleagues in a space that understands that that's important and is not being seen as something that is taking away from the seriousness of your business, I think is really important because of our, our business timetable from finance, from underwriting, risk management, you know, cap modeling, whatever it may, exposure management, all that kind of stuff is massively pressured in time frame. So being able to work in an environment where you can share something that makes you laugh is great. This is really great because it's a great stress reliever, isn't it? Humor and laughter. It is. And talking of stress relievers, you said earlier on about living at work. Yeah. The last 18 months, we have all done a little bit too much of, you know, the the, the overlap between life and work has been just a little bit too close. So what what have you done to step away from work whilst you're at home? Okay, so, um, yeah, it may not be the the same for everybody, might not feel like this. And I, I think that it's certainly talking about earlier on about how things change. You know, I think there was a novelty in March 2020 when we're at home. I'm very mindful, you know, I'm trying to find a way of putting this, Peter, really, but very mindful. Not everybody's had the same experiences throughout lockdown. You know, there's nothing more depressing, really, than when you wake up in the morning and you see a laptop in your room and then you work and then you dance things at night is your, is your working environment when you, you go to bed. So I think, you know, I certainly found this year it started to get really wearing and that work began to feel like it was an intrusion in in the home mm. you know um whereas in, in the early days of setting up something the ability to be in a quiet place focused entirely online with no distractions was actually massively fantastic but then i think i'm, I'm loving the fact that we've got a, a great working environment to, to go into now and how we manage that going forward and engage with people and it is great and i love that so that's kind of taking that away but I do like to have stuff that I do so <laughs> I know what you've asked me anyway I paint and I don't mean walls or garages I'm not available for hire to do a bit of you know window frames for somebody but I like to paint I like to go oil painting and I go out in the city and and, and paint indeed and, and, you... and then not graffiti all right paint so yeah so uh it's a I think maybe one thing that pandemic did do is made us all think a little bit about oh, you know, how do you, I, I certainly reconnected with doing something that I'd, I'd done years ago and then find myself, you know, those moments where you do need to do something different than, than look at your screen. And so to have something to plan for, to work out where to go and get your stuff together and, and, and stuff is great. So I love it. But it's a, another thing, I guess, is why I like the insurance industry so much is that it's a creative and, and being able to create something, but the ability to be able to create something is great. And, and, and I think that's what chimes with me about the insurance industry is that it's essentially a massively wonderful innovative and creative space to be involved in and with that in mind what bit of advice would you give to a teenager entering into the insurance market because so many things really so 
Um, I would say this advice to anybody, whether it's in the insurance industry or not, is that if you like something and you think, I might like to know more about this, and people give you a business card and say, call me, call them, call them. If they say, drop me an email, drop them an email. People don't say it because they don't want you to do it. And my experience is that when people say those things to you, if you want to spend a day here, just email me, email them, please come out of a comfort zone, email them. And it could possibly be a, a great initial step on a career path. So I would say to young people, do that. So be proactive and do it because you can't wait for things to come to you in these days. You've got to be proactive about getting out and doing that. And then once you start to do that, learn how to network effectively. Okay. Whether it's online or face-to-face in offices or whatever, or you may go to a career evening, I don't know, something like that. Have something in your head when somebody says, and who are you? Have something prepared in your head that you know what you're going to say. I, I, I still do this. So, so if I go somewhere I've never been before, I think if somebody says, Karen, what is it you do? I try to know what to say. So have that in your head as well, that when somebody you've never met before and introduces themselves to you, that you know what to say to them. Whether you say, I've just, I've just left school, I've done this, that and the other, whatever it is, or I'm, I'm just in my final year of graduating, or, or even if you're at the start of your career and you want to look in new opportunities, have something in your head to say. And, and the only other thing I, I would, would say now in, in the light of this, when you have the ability to go into the office, go into the office. You know, it's not about presenteeism. It's about yourselves learning well, seeing different examples of, of work, listening to people, looking what's coming across an, an underwriter's desk or from a, a risk management perspective, you know, looking at risk appetites, whatever it might be, being there, seeing it, listening to people talk, getting a quick answer to something you're not quite sure about. is massively important. I can't stress that enough. That was absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for asking me. It's been really enjoyable. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Insurance Covered. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and please rate, review and share it. It really does help. Please also listen to another of our podcasts, Taxing Matters, which is hosted by my brilliant colleague, Alice Kemp. Insurance Covered is an RPC production made possible by Joe Burgess and Mary Mitchell. If you want to be a guest on Insurance Covered, please email me at peter.mansfield at rpc.co.uk. Thank you and I hope you have a lovely day.